Hello and welcome back to the Miraculous Being series. I'm your host and self-awareness coach, Shweta Shivraman, and this is a show where we discover, learn, and implement lessons from others' life journeys. Others who I believe epitomize miraculous in its true spirit. Individuals who live life to the fullest, who worked hard on themselves to reach where they are and are passionate in what they do. Today's speaker is Prasad Rangnekar, a yoga educator based in Bombay, who's been teaching yoga over the last 26 years as a science of mind, body and life transformation. His journey with yoga began at the age of nine. He's had the blessing of studying under many accomplished yogic masters, but those who have left a deep impact on his life are Tatambari Avadut, Baba Bolanath, Narinath and his Sadguru Sri Swami Samartha Maharaj. He takes four months off every year for Maunasadna to go deeper into his silence, meditation and study. Prasad's holistic approach to yoga has helped thousands across the world in over 15 countries and he has personally mentored over 200 yoga teachers till date. Let's go dive in and listen to Prasad's journey of transformation. Hi Prasad, thank you so much for being on the show. I feel like a little fangirl here having this conversation with you in person. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So before we dive in, I think it'll be great for the audience to hear your journey. Uh, maybe we can start there and then delve deeper. Sure. Uh, this this question uh, has many parts because we don't have, have a single journey. We all have multiple journeys. We have all have multiple stories that multiple dimensions of our personality you know, physically we are something mentally we are something professionally we are something socially we are something yeah uh, but in context of your core theme of transformation i would say i was a very anxious sickly child Constantly in and out of hospitals, surgeries, very weak immune system, very frail, thin little boy. You know, my mother used to tease me, uh, like mother used to say that whenever she used to take me out, people would uh, ask her, don't you feed him? <laughs> don't you feed him enough? I was very, very strong. Uh, very restless basically completely dominated by fight and flight to where i am now and this is no way uh, blowing my own trumpet but uh, just a honest recognition of me being peaceful and content with where my life is now allowing my faith to ride over my fear that is my formula for everybody and i'm sharing it with your audience too uh, allowing my faith to uh, to win over my fear i think i'm in a better place it has taken me over 40 years uh, of conscious living and maybe over 35 years of consciously working on myself but I think I'm in a better place now. I have done this uh, lifetime, uh, a good out of this lifetime, I would say. And I'm saying this in all humility, out of recognition, again, not uh, out of some kind of uh, uh, holier than thou attitude. <laughs> That's it, really. I mean, uh, my journey would fill your entire podcast. So I would just like to say only this much that. Uh, well, my I was introduced to yoga. Yoga is all I know. I have no other skills. Yoga is all I know. And uh, I am a yoga student practitioner. I am a yoga seeker, sadhak. So my mother introduced yoga to my sister and I when we were nine years old. Summer vacations, highly energetic kids. Parents don't know how to engage them. So she just literally deposited in a in a one month long course of yoga. <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking, my dear mother, but uh, because all were adults in that that <laughs> course, you know, and we were the only children. So 
it was great for us because they were all grandpas and grandmas, you know, retirees. So we got all the attention, but we also got a higher perspective because our teacher used to speak at their level because they were the main audience. Mm -hmm. So that is when I actually started noticing my body, my breath, you know, for a nine-year-old boy, that is very intriguing. And it was always there with me. Yoga was always there at the back of my mind, the ideas, the spiritual, you know, because at the end of every lecture, every class, the teacher would give us a little tidbits about, you know, try this or some reflection and some quote from Bhagavad Gita. So all that was there, but then, you know, life catches up, you know, studies and career and blah, blah. And uh, I used to practice my asanas and all that. But at the age of 16, 17, I deeply got into uh, philosophy for some reason. I started reading the Yoga Sutra when I was 17. And since then, life is, has been different. Of course, all other things went happening. And uh, it has been an organic journey, so I cannot, you know, it's nothing melodramatic that something happened in my life and life went all upside down and not like that. It has been a very gradual, slow, organic flowering of uh, my inner self, I would say. That's it, really. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think what stood out to me was when you said allowing faith to take over the fear, right? And a lot of emphasis you gave on the word allowing. A lot of yeah. times our controlling, logical minds uh, can't really step back and say allow for things to unfold or to flower. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, how, how did you make that transition? Uh, how did I make that transition? It gradually happened. Uh, Shraddha, I like the word Shraddha more than faith. Uh, you can call it trust. Uh, uh, trust takes time to build. Shraddha grows. And it has to grow. Shraddha cannot be uh, instant. Uh, in the sense, you see uh, somebody in saintly clothes doing a trick. Suddenly, you have Shraddha in that person. That's not really Shraddha. That would ideally be called blind faith. And blind faith is not, is not Shraddha. Shraddha grows. Faith is tested over time. And we see that in our Puranas, Itihasa. This is a very important lesson that faith will be tested. If you think you have faith, there comes a googly from life. Okay, let me test you. Okay, successful. Next level test. Next level test. Till a time comes where Shraddha becomes surrender. Shraddha becomes Samarpan. So, in my life, there are only two journeys. My journey of silence and my journey of Shraddha. My journey of silence and my journey of surrender. These are my own two, only two margas or paths, you could say, or modalities that I practice my yoga on. So, uh, again, nothing, uh, one, not really like one uh, incident that happened, but uh, I think when one is aware, when one lives, with awareness or whatever what they call nowadays mindfully uh, you are always responsive to life hmm? uh, means sorry to go about a roundabout answer but i it is important point that we are too much focused on our life, my life, we are too much focused on the me component. While I see life or my life as a partnership between me and life. Hmm? So it's like a fish, you know, when you see a video or when you see a fish swimming, it's not only the fish that swims, it is fish 
in a certain water body that is swimming and the currents of water are helping the fish to swim so even though our attention is on the fish moving we are oblivious to the fact that it's the entire ecosystem that is supporting the movement of that fish when i recognize that it's not just my life but it's me plus life creating my life there was a tremendous sense of uh lightness there was a tremendous sense of uh empowerment there's not just me the entire life is there to aid me yes it's my life but life process itself is helping that time i it my life became very very light and effortless because i did not take the whole burden of existence only on my shoulder i shared it with my life i shared it with my day to day existence sorry uh, i mean perhaps i'm becoming very poetic but that's how it's coming out you know but the the essence of what i want to say is shraddha is trusting shraddha hmm? shraddha trusting life trusting god whatever you want to co-create your life with it's not just you and as the saying goes shraddhavan labate jnanam without shraddha or only the one shraddhavan the one who has shraddha labate jnanam realizes the knowledge knowledge of which what knowledge not uh, who is the newest billionaire on forbes list not that knowledge not objective knowledge but atma vidya you know knowledge of the self atma jnan so if you want make life your partner god your partner you know like the bhaktas will say you know we are living we are playing the leela of krishna so they feel that krishna and they are part mm-hmm. of their existence it's not just you and the major major uh factor in people's heaviness psychological effort weighing down tiredness exhaustion is this that they feel that i have to battle everything in life no yeah so beautiful i like that equation me plus life is equal to my life and uh, i think you you simply touched upon the nerve right in terms of a lot of us feeling that sense of isolation that you know everything is on us to do and in a world where all variables are out of our control beyond a very minuscule you know just a minuscule part of it is within our control so no wonder we continuously feel overburdened and and you know just a couple of days ago i was having this conversation with a client where she was like you know what i'm tired i'm tired of trying so hard and you know it came from the depths of her being where she felt yeah. that exhaustion of just you know winning a battle i mean losing a battle over and over again and yeah. you know i think this just puts that that shares that load like you said wherein there is a partnership and uh, that isolation is not as much and you know i'm curious when we come to that right that uh, we were just talking before the recording that a lot of us are you know we live in our minds and we kind of mm-hmm. keep suffering our minds mm-hmm. over and over again and mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your take on that. Uh... Yeah. Uh, first, I want to touch upon what you said about exhaustion. It's yeah. not just an isolated incident. It is a proven study. In fact, in uh, the Guardian magazine, the month of May, I had also posted about this on Instagram. There was a survey from UK, mm-hmm. which stated. something that really broke my heart the survey says people are too exhausted this is the conclusion mm. of that research people are too exhausted 
to make positive lifestyle change. This really broke my heart. And then I, I set off on a Europe trip. I was on, on traveling across Europe for the last one month teaching. And I actually experienced this with the people who came for my workshops and retreats. And tremendous exhaustion. Tremendous. So what you shared is absolutely right. Absolutely right. We are just masters of distraction. You know, we have become masters of distraction. So we don't really, again, using the word, allow ourselves to sit and recognize that, oh, I am exhausted. Now we just do, because our ego doesn't like it. Our ego doesn't like that, I'm a strong person, how can I be exhausted? No. So then we just do something. We get, we distract. You know, oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm going to have a cup of coffee, strong coffee, <laughs> double espresso. <laughs> or I'm going to watch an action movie. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, the coming back to your question is why are we exhausted? Because we, are, we have become too mind-centric and not heart-centric. Yeah, there, there are two forces, thinking and feeling. We have become very thinking-oriented. Buddhi and Bhava. Where is the Bhava <laughs> nowadays? Right? We, are, we are too busy analyzing things. We are too busy not just thinking, overthinking. Divine gave us the ability to think and we started overthinking. You know, <laughs> it's like that. You know, God gives us one thing and we overdo it. <laughs> you know, so uh, there are many reasons for this. Many, 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 many reasons. Personal, social conditioning, family conditioning, generational conditioning. Uh, so, yeah, the uh, in a sense, what I want to say is life is all about harmonizing your thinking and feeling variables or the dimensions of thinking and feeling. But the kind of life we live uh, makes, us, makes it imperative that we stay in the thinking mode. Because our life is full of choice, uh, our challenges, decision-making. Uh, we have to stay on alert. We have deadlines. We have projects. Company's uh, name is at stake. Our job is at stake. So you see, we the time your alarm goes, your fight and flight mechanism is switched on. The alarm also is such a horrible tone that nobody will wake up peacefully. You know, you wake up with an overwhelm, right? <laughs> and that that alarm tips your nervous system into fight and flight and then it doesn't come down because you rush out of bed, you rush into shower, breakfast on the run, run to catch a train, juggle works and projects at office, uh, you know, jostle around with your colleagues, you know, fight for the next presentation. Um, you know, push somebody for uh, getting up the ladder in the corporate ladder. Then um, rush or fight time to leave office early. Dodge a cause that you don't want to take. Imagine, we have to be in the thinking mode to stay sane. In, in the neural, neurobiological terms, we have to be in the sympathetic nervous system response to survive. And once the habit pattern is developed or in the brain, the wiring is developed, it's not easy to come out of it. 
then what will happen imagine if you are firing your fight and flight since 8 am to 8 pm your brain is not going to oh now he's come home now let me just ah wind down no why why should it if you have told your brain for 12 hours a day that you are under threat run your brain will say oh i have to run at home also this is the issue so i have personally started telling everybody and teaching that it is time for conscious rest we need to give a rest a priority that will that is also a struggle so powerful um i think uh, i was just reading somewhere that uh, all that we do in our day to day life is this restless activity right and uh, there is no action so that means when you really pause also even if you were to rest the mind is still continuously you know running that same race it was running those 12 hours it's not going to suddenly come to a stop so whether you are at work or not you're thinking about work or you're doing something else in your head and there is no rest that we given so there's no turning off of that fight flight and fight mode it's always on and then no wonder the exhaustion happens because the body can't run on adrenaline for that long yeah and people's ideas of rest have also become uh neurologically stimulated <laughs> like you know um let's let's have a movie marathon that's not rest that's recreation <laughs> you see oh i come back from office 12 hours of work and then just for rest i go for a 7k run it's not rest yeah run is good for you it has its own benefits but your nervous system if we look at nervous system as the fundamental uh, ground to analyze everything on your nervous system is not rested when you are running 7k especially if you have a time i want to run 7k within half an hour or whatever something like that your brain is pushing through the time barrier your legs are pushing through the lazy barrier lazy barrier or you know fatigue barrier we need to learn how to consciously rest to and i think in today's age even hobbies have to become side hustles right so there exactly. is no <laughs> recreation that also has to be productive are you reading 52 books in a year or this this what you just mentioned that word you know in every lecture and workshop of mine and the retreat of mine in europe right now i was talking about something that i call as productivity condition so we have to be productive our mind is wired to such a idea that every moment we have to be productive how will the mind rest you know these are very uh, post world war ideas that were fair at that time our grandparents generation our great grandparents generation who had to hustle to even survive but now at least at the socio economic class that we live in you and i live in, there's no need to hustle at least for the basic necessities of it and we need to remember that we we you know two people of urban india recording a podcast is privilege <laughs> yeah we have to i'm sorry if this is a news but yeah and that too uh, 10:30 on a monday morning Privilege. even more <laughs> yeah even more privilege so uh, we don't need to 
objectivity uh, sorry object objects in life huh? as they call in sanskrit vishaya mm. vishaya means there will be never never be enough money you will never ever be on top position there is no best as such you know um, if you look at external things to give you peace and comfort not comfort maybe peace or happiness it is always fleeting mind will never be calm if you depend on fleeting objects for a source of love happiness peace so somewhere we need to sit quiet and that itself is a challenge forget meditation that's why what we humans have done now even our meditation has become active meditation <laughs> people do dance meditation you see because sitting still has become such a challenge that we have to rework the definition of sitting still to activity yeah so anyway that is life this is life everybody is in their process so there's nothing existentially wrong in it or bad in it it's just how it is but we need to recognize you know just like when you are in a fight and flight response you don't stop you know if the tiger is running behind you to pounce on you you just run you don't stop and say oh wow nice tiger or <laughs> oh i love your stripes not like that you know because when you are on fight and flight you don't have the uh, the privilege to stop examine introspect no you're just on a run that's why you know we really need to make conscious effort to rest right so for those probably tuning in and haven't really rested consciously uh where would you recommend they start taking time out every day conscious to do something that now i have to be very specific because if i if i say to do something relaxing then they will start running not like that <laughs> you know that's why i'm trying to formulate a proper sentence every day take time to do something that uh relaxes your mind relaxes your breath makes you psychologically relax become effortless become calm those kind of variables you need to work right because people are smart you know they just find a loophole and <laughs> absolutely and the you know, mind if i say take too. time out for rest they say oh but i get i i get a lot of rest if i buy something on online no <laughs> oh i rest very well after i eat 1 kilo of kaju katli no people always find their best you know so <laughs> but yes taking conscious you know like we take time for brushing teeth having a shower let it become a part of your routine rest should become a sadhana <laughs> yeah and then we will notice how tightly we are bound by this productivity condition you know what will happen you are sitting you know like let's say ha ah, now 11 to 11:15 ah i'm just going to sit on my chair and stare out of the window chalo let's do this you sit down you stare out of the window and i guarantee after 1 minute you'll be like oh my window has a lot of dust uh let me clean this and then you go in and take a mop and start cleaning the window that is this is what i'm saying productivity you can't just say hmm my window is dirty after 15 minutes i will clean 
No. Like, ah, window. Oh, I forgot. Last weekend, I should have, you know, cleaned the window. Oh, no. You see, this is what I call productivity control. Will not let you rest. So true. So true. I think it it's sort of like seeped into your body in a way that it's you have to constantly engage in something. Otherwise, you know, your hands itch, your mind is constantly itching and there is no resting in that. Absolutely. And this is a very new phenomenon. This is a very post-industrial revolution phenomenon. You know, you know, 20, 30 years, maybe even now it's happening. But, you know, if you, if you went to the villages, you would find people just sitting under a tree, just sitting, chatting, or some people just sitting, looking up at the sky. You don't see that in the city. The concept only is foreign. <laughs> yes. Very idyllic. Yeah, if you sit on a roadside and look up at the sky, people will think you are a crazy person. Hmm? And if you are, kya hua? No, I'm just looking up at the sky, admiring the blue sky. You know, something's wrong with this person. <laughs> right? I mean, like I, I tell some people, you know, like maybe not in India or wherever, but in, in the foreign countries, if you, you know, you want to sit in a metro or wherever next to a person who is reading something or listening to something, you know, so that person is engaged, so I'm safe next to that person. <laughs> You know, if you if you just find a person on the seat, look staring into nowhere, you will not sit next to that person because you're like, what happened? Oh, this person is doing nothing. Yeah, if nothing, at least look at your phone, right? Yeah. So you're not even keeping your phone, then what are yes, you doing? It's a it's a very good place to hide. <laughs> look down. You don't have to look at anyone else. You don't have to socialize. True. And interestingly, I think one of the things that you said, right, about finding contentment and as long as we are looking at external things to find that contentment, it's always going to be fleeting. And, you know, I'm just curious. Uh, in today's race for more, right, if I can put it that way, we are always craving for something more, whether it's status, wealth, uh, designations, whatever it is, right? Uh, how can we really balance that ambition while being content there are two three layers to it in sanskrit it's called vishayananda and atmananda vishayananda means the happiness that the objects bring to you. Nothing wrong in it. Nothing wrong. Okay. Uh, Vishayananda would be ice cream. I eat ice cream. I feel happy. Done. Finish. But again, fleeting. It gives me sugar high. Then my insulin spike happens. And then after one hour, I'm like, oh, I want one more ice cream. Things like that. So it, the vicious cycle never ends. The second is Atmananda. The ananda, bliss or happiness that comes from within. We have gotten lost too much in the Vishayananda. Because nobody told us about Atman. Our education system, our social ecosystem has always been about Vishayananda. Even we ask our kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? Doctor, engineer? Has anybody ever told you as a child, just be a good person? Just be happy when you grow up. Doesn't matter what you do in life, just be happy. Nobody told me that. So we've been, we've been taught that the only ananda, the only happiness that exists is Vishayananda. But our scriptures teach us very differently. Chapter 2 of Bhagavad Gita says this. So, 
there is a very big gap between what our scriptures say and what we are actually doing so somewhere we have to go back to this realization by realizing that pursuing the objects wishaya is at own its own thing we need that i'm not saying we should give up all desires and not like that but not at the cost of the ananda that is there with it in this sense we all have to harmonize our external pursuits and internal pursuits this is why i love the purushartha model dharma artha kama moksha for goals of life you do this and each ashrama is based on that right you, you, you this you know your brahmacharya ashram guruhastra ashram every goal of life gets its due but modern person cannot imagine vanaprastha you see because we don't we don't know when to disengage in vanaprastha ashram what happens you know uh, after 50 i'm going to disengage uh, then my child child's family comes in i go out we don't know when to disengage you see so what happens first i have to sort out my issues now i have to sort out my child's issues then i have a grandchild then i have to sort out my grandchild's issues there's no disengagement so somewhere we need to be reeducated about how to balance external pursuits and internal tasks now the formula of bhagavad gita is get into external pursuits only to realize the inner calm i'm saying it again you engage in external pursuits only to realize your inner bliss yoginah karma kurvanti sangham tyaktva atma shuddhayet yoginah karma kurvanti yogis do their karmas why atma shuddhayet for atma shuddhi so your external pursuits are a way for you to realize the inner calm so it is not two opposite trains moving away from each other it is a circle you you become active in life pursuits only to realize yourself or to know more about it so then what becomes important self knowledge mm-hmm. and i'm not saying from a transcendental point of view i am atma or something like that no let's say you who are you know your your organization tells you prasad you have to uh, go for this pitch or this is a presentation you have to do it mm-hmm. and you are like oh my god you know and then you work on it and you work on it and it doesn't the first pitch doesn't go so well now usually you know like we spoke about self doubt and all that you know usually you'll be like ah oh, my company trusted me but i let them down all this you know the story will start in your head yeah. that time you should sit down and inspect what can i do better yes it was not as good as i could have done but perhaps i did with what resources i had mm-hmm. but yes i can do better so i will become a slightly better version of what i was in my last presentation this is the formula of yoga through your external work you grow this we forget 
what happens is we get so focused on external work to create external transient things that's why so many people die with bitterness in them so many rich people die with bitterness they have millions of dollars of worth property but they don't die a peaceful death so the formula is a very simple statement look at your work as a worship work is worship and the whole bhagavad gita is focused on that like krishna said no think of me and fight ma manusmara yuddhacha so engage in everyday activity whatever it is only to make yourself better that is the formula if you don't do this what will happen is you will create a lot of wealth around you but you will not contribute to inner prosperity and this balance needs to be learned our shastras teach this that's why you have parabrahma swarup krishna sitting as a chariot here you know krishna would have said sorry this is none of my business you Not guys you, yeah you ignorant people you people in avidya do whatever you want no he doesn't say that he is also engaging he says in in bhagavad gita it is said i have nothing to do with all this i'm not getting anything from all this yet i am participating he gives examples of janaka and all mm-hmm. you know despite being jeevan mukta they participate in day to day life like that we have to so we have to realize again coming back to what i started with it's not just me and my life are not separate i'm living my life learning from my life and becoming a better me this is real indian spirituality adhyatma adhyatma the term adhyatma means living in context of the self adhyatma atma atma here doesn't mean that transcendental atma atma means self whichever self you bring to the table today i bring a self in avidya live pertaining to that self i become jivan mukta live pertaining to that self live in context of the self when this locus is lost you live in context of money you live in context of career you live in context of uh, popularity then the atma is taken off the context of life then then we are pushed and pulled from every corner money is important but what about my family family is important but what about my career career is important but what about my health that push and pull is what is exhausting not day to day beautifully put right I, i keep repeating in my podcast as well that you know self discovery doesn't happen in the himalayas you don't have to give up all your material pursuits or your life to go discover yourself and how beautifully you put it that you use your own external pursuits as a way to uh, learn better and become better absolutely and i have given shastra pramana you know it's not these are not my ideas of these are all ideas from our shastra mm-hmm. our shastra, that's why i say for my my definition of yoga is yoga is a life skill just like swimming just like driving we have to learn yoga we have to educate ourselves uh, about yoga to to navigate life 
more skillfully to handle life challenges more skillfully absolutely yes and you know curiously you touched upon that you know the uh, fact that we have so many of these identities in terms of who we are at work who we are at mm. uh, you know in our personal life in our relationships in society and uh, i heard you mentioning in one of the podcasts that how anxieties come from our identities right mm. that all mm. of these identities that we assume we are and totally attach ourselves with all of that start to cause us anxiety and in a way it is this constant anxiety that kind of stops us from actually being that resting or consciously take a rest or take it off right so i'm curious uh, how how do we manage these anxieties that seem never ending in our heads when you don't know who you are you want to be many things when you don't know what you want to eat in a restaurant everything the waiter tells you sounds exciting <laughs> if you don't know where you want to go for vacation every other offer sounds amazing the point is when you start living a mind of external awareness you are spread thinly across a large surface and you lost you lose yourself and this what happens we play so many roles that we forget who is playing the role there's a certain kind of dissonance that happens in our awareness who am i in all this It happens a lot you know i have seen happens a lot with women you know juggling career motherhood wife daughter in law and then wondering after few years who am i really because all roles are important i am the center of it all but then who who am i like do i even exist patanjali calls these asmitas and every asmita has raga and dvesha raga and dvesha means attraction and repulsion the force of attraction and repulsion likes or dislikes for example you as a mother may not like something for your child but you have to allow it because you are also a wife and your husband likes that for your child <laughs> but it doesn't sit well with you but you say you know okay my husband likes that for my child so it's no problem you know but uh, so uh, so the tension is between what you think is right for your child as a mother but but you have to also comply with what your husband wants to do for your child ah you see raga dvesha like dislike that's the fight like this for each role we have a fight and not just each role now this becomes even more complex how many prasads are there in my head multiple at every identity i have a prasad there's a prasad as a man there's a prasad as a indian citizen there's a prasad as a yoga teacher you see and not just that there are prasads across time there is a infant prasad teenage prasad you know so imagine in our mind there are multiple asmitas of self and every asmita every identity breeds like dislikes and creates a mental world for itself this is how we are distributed across identities this is the definition of avidya for potential not knowing who the true self is the the true observer is <laughs> 
we get so caught up with our roles yeah and with each role we have this weight like i i have not met even a single parent who says they have been a good parent <laughs> right so there's there's a guilt of parenthood there's a burden of parenthood so asmitas create a world around it and we get carried away in that world like this you know literally like the multiverse you know <laughs> every asmita has its own world and we are living together in this multiverse literally i'm not exaggerating this is exactly how it happens yeah and we want to give everything to every world and we are exhausted so the the idea then again to keep it extremely simple is to consciously take time to step back every day step back step back step back step back vairagya is not taught this is vairagya they are not taught vairagya we only know abhyasa <laughs> you know even we only are engaged in abhyasa we ignore vairagya when vairagya is most important part of you so and that's why we have this whole concept of doing your actions without desires without the karma without the intention to get back something you know like it is written in the karma yoga bhagavad do your actions without desires karma uh, phala hmm? so yeah i feel education i mean i can go on and on and on you know i perhaps i'm going all over the place but there's so much to say on this topic and that's why i feel spiritual education is extremely important but then again what happens is in our country spiritual ex, uh, ex spiritual education becomes religious education because you know religion and spirituality are so tightly bound at least in india mm. you know you will find you will find many you will find very very few people in india who call themselves spiritual but not religious like in the west yeah so we have to really really educate people that's why i really admire you and want to really cheer you for your podcast because somewhere your audience hears all this gets motivated and again tries to be a better version of themselves that's all we can do yeah and curious since you touched upon the whole topic of spirituality right uh, i've 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 received extremes about what spirituality is right some of them either assume it to be esoteric and mystic and uh, you know things that are dark and mysterious and others you know kind of think of it like a hobby after retirement so i often get you know you're just 30 you know what are you doing reading all of this uh, why bother right at this age and all of that so i'm curious right uh, what is your take on spirituality and probably a tip on where people can start their journey for me spirituality is um, okay i will just say for my definition of spirituality for myself is calm mind simple life this is the goal that i have given myself simplify your life calm down your mind my goal personal goal for spirituality is only this much and i am okay with it. you know i am not much into esoterics of it though i don't rule out about that mysticism but from the shastric point of view from from the indic spiritual point of view it is all the broad definition of spirituality is 
um, knowing yourself and helping others know themselves. In fact, uh, the mission statement of Ramakrishna Mission, I feel summarizes the the world view or the uh, idea of yoga. Atmano Moksharatham Jagata Hitaya Cha. Moksha of the Atma and Jagata Hita, betterment of the world. So it is not an isolationistic, self centered view. I grow, and when I grow, the whole world grows with me. This, I feel, should be spiritual motto of everything. And it has been the spiritual goal or motto of all our saints and mystics. Look at the bhakti movement. You look at our Santa Parampara. They did not sit in a cave meditating and say, you know, let the world go wherever it wants to go. No. You know, they came on the streets, they sang, they they spoke. They they created small revolutions in their own uh, ecosystems. And then they left. So, for me, spirituality is about um, understanding myself and through that understanding, helping create a better world. Very, very simple definition of spirituality for me. And that is what I'm sharing. Because there are multiple definitions. You, know, you can say whatever you want. And it, perhaps it is valid too. But somewhere I feel it is time to simplify spirituality. Because there's so much out there. There's so much out there. So much. There's always a better guru. There's always a better scripture. There's always a, a higher mantra. There's always a holier place. There's always a powerful temple. It'll always be there, but still, it's all outside. We have gone too fast. We've, we've become too fascinated by the means. You know, I remember a quote from Gorakhnath. He says, Adasat Tirat Samandi Samave. 68 pilgrim places of India are all within. <laughs> Sit at the feet of your Guru. Like this. So there will always be, like I said, there will always be, you know, people also, you know, because we live in such a socially connected world. Oh, have you done that pilgrimage? Oh, did you do upas for this? Have you gone to that temple? Have you done this uh, fasting? You know, did you, do you know this mantra? I will send you the video of this guru. Have you read this scripture? I mean, these are all means. Have you done this pranayama? Have you tried this meditation? Because we we are full of this. There's too much out there. And we just get engaged in the doing, ignoring the knowing. And yoga is all about the knowing. Doing is just a marga, it's just a way. If your doing does not contribute to your knowing, it is just taking you around in circles. <laughs> so, I have taken it upon myself as a project to, to simplify. I'm not saying demystify. I'm just saying simplify. As one saint from Maharashtra, he says, Kanda mula bhaji avgha vithai maji. Means, kanda, onion, mula, radish, bhaji, vegetable. Avagha Vithai. Vithai means Vithala. Vishnu. Avagha means only or totally. Maji. My. 
सो माय विठल माय गॉड इज इन ऑल दीज मंडेन थिंग्स कांदा मुला भाजी नथिंग स्पेक्टैकुलर बस माय माय डिवाइन इज इन द डोमेस्टिक मंडेन थिंग्स you know we say lord shiva is in kailash but do you do you have do you mean he is not here around here as parabrahma of course he is here do i have to go to kailash will it help yes but i can go to kailash 10 times and have no faith in lord shiva too that also can happen or i can just be here with closed eyes completely in my humbleness and gratitude and just feel one with lord shiva sitting there in kailash so means are means they have their importance but means should not compromise the end beautiful thank you for sharing that so finding divinity in the mundane and everywhere you are absolutely i mean this is this is what our indic spirituality is all about look at the rishis and everybody they had their own you know you know we just read that uh, in upanishads you know students went to the rishis yeah but look at their back end there was a there was the rishi's wife who was managing the children uh, she had to you know you see in the puranas Ah, Lord Krishna and his friend goes to chop wood in the forest. So there's a back end also, mm-hmm. right? All these avatars had their guru. They had to go through the schooling system, not because they did not know anything, or they forgot once they became avatar. No, to tell us that we have to go through the world. Artha is second. rang hmm? kama you know it's not dharma and moksha only there's artha and kama too we have to look at living from a complete holistic perspective right amazing thank you i think that was that was very beautiful um i know we stretched our time a little bit uh, Uh, just curious uh, anything probably that you'd like to share with the audience that we've not probably touched upon any parting thoughts maybe summary of all that you've spoken today <laughs> <laughs> number 1 make conscious time for rest yeah. number 2 don't get carried away by the means don't let don't let information become knowledge real knowledge is self understanding so read 10 books but absorb them also you know uh enjoy the mundane simple life spirituality is there also it's not just somewhere out there this is not this is not the view of indian spiritual for indian spirituality spirituality is right here right now wherever you are there it is look you go to villages yeah we make deities out of a stone right by projecting our bhav on that stone that means what spirituality is everywhere we have made goddesses out of rivers we have made mother out of our planet how can be spirituality separate to all that we live in so don't think that spirituality is something out there that you have to go somewhere to feel spiritual live live spiritual it is a jeevan vidya yoga is a jeevan vidya 
It is not exercise science. It is Jeevan Vidya. Jeevan Vidya, Atma Vidya. Only when one consciously walks on steps of simplifying life, our whole mind and nervous system will calm down. And this calm state of mind is the start of yoga. Start. Start. If you read the Shastras, they will always say, when the one the one with calm mind is capable of yoga, is ready for yoga. I never used to understand this. You know, in earlier times when I used to read some scriptures, I would be like, hmm, that sounds fantastic to me. And now he's saying, oh, is capable of yoga. Then I understood after, you know, my own experience is that, yeah, I mean, real understanding starts only when we are calm. Right? I mean, I can see you and project all that I think about you on you and see you only as what I want to see you as. But when I have no projections about you, you know uh, prior ideas and notions about you, I just meet you for who you are. So, rest, number one. Simplification, number two. Focus on calming down the mind, number three. And last but not the least, let your faith win over your fear. That's the summary. Sorry, I can't help being a teacher. I have to summarize every every lecture. <laughs> Appreciate the summary. I'm sure the listeners would as well. Uh, thank you so much, Prasad. I think that thank was you. just uh, so insightful at so many levels. Uh, really grateful for taking time out, that you could take time out to actually do this with us. Uh, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. And all the best for uh, bringing peace, love and happiness in the hearts of people through your work and through your podcast. Thank you. Thank really you. Really appreciate it.